We start off today talking about the fact that Republican congressman and serial liar George Santos has been arrested on charges of wire fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds, and making false statements to Congress. I want to get to some clips from a press conference of sorts that he held after being arraigned that did not go super well for him uh, at all. But before we get to that, let me summarize so we can kind of get a sense of what he's being charged for, uh, what we know about these charges. Among the allegations, prosecutors say, this is from the Associated Press, Santos induced supporters to donate to a company under the false pretense that the money would be used to support his campaign. Instead, they say he used the money for personal expenses, including designer clothes and his credit card and car payments. Santos also transferred about $74,000 from a company that was supposed to be exclusively receiving campaign donations to his own bank accounts and to some of his associates. Uh, Santos also is accused of lying about his finances on congressional disclosure forms and applying for and receiving unemployment benefits while he was employed as regional director of an investment firm that the government shut down in 2021 over allegations that it was a Ponzi scheme. Uh, in a financial disclosure form, Santos reported making $750,000 a year from a family company, the DeVolder Organization. Of course, his full name is George Santos Anthony DeVolder or something like that. Um, George Anthony DeVolder Santos, I think. But the charges unsealed Wednesday alleged that Santos never received the sum nor the $1 million and $5 million in, uh, in dividends he listed as coming from the firm. Likely much more, but that kind of gives you a taste um, of what's going on here. Now here is uh, this press conference that he hold, held right after being arraigned, and we'll start with this clip of him, you'll never guess, saying, it's all a witch hunt. Look, this is the beginning of the ability for me to address and defend myself. We have an indictment, we have all, we have the information that the government wants to come after me on, and I'm going to comply. I've been complying throughout this entire process. I have no desire not to comply at this point. They've been gracious in there. Now I'm going to have to go and fight to defend myself. The reality is, is, I'm sorry, it's a witch hunt. Because it, it, it makes no sense that in four months, four months, five months, I'm indicted. You have Joe Biden's entire family receiving deposits from nine, nine family members receiving money from foreign, from foreign destinations into their bank accounts. It's been years of exposing. A lot of you here have reported on them, and yet no investigation is launched into them. I'm going to fight. I will, and I'm just going, I'm getting back to that. I'm going to fight my battle. I'm going to deliver. I'm going to fight the witch hunt. I'm going to take care of clearing my name, and I look forward to doing that. Something about that was just so cringy and lazily delivered. Hmm, what's that thing that, that Trump always says when he's about to be held accountable for something? Oh, yeah, it's a witch hunt or something. Um, let's see. Hunter Biden. It's Biden's fault, actually. We should be talking about Biden. Now, of course, he's referencing the accusations by Republicans against Biden that they still haven't provided evidence for. So what he's saying then is the reason why you shouldn't be prosecuted in George Santos's case is because James Comer said that Biden did something. As I like to say, if you're going to try to deceive us, be better at it. Next moment from this press conference. Planning on running for re-election? Yes, I am. Do you and think why should anybody believe you now? Well, like I said, I will prove myself innocent and then we'll move from there. And re-election is a very far time away from now. You know what? Why shouldn't he run for re-election? Trump is running for president of the United States and he's been charged with more felonies than George Santos has. And... He's likely about to be charged with crimes related to his attempts to overthrow American democracy and install himself president for four more years, despite the, the fact that he lost the election and was just found liable in civil court for sexually abusing a woman. And he is the likely choice of the Republican Party. So what's a little wire fraud and theft of public funds by George Santos to Republican voters? Now, in reality, 
The good news is Santos' district is historically a blue district, so I'm pretty pretty confident he'll be soundly defeated in 2024. No thanks, likely, to Republicans. And then final moment we will look at uh, here. You look... I'm, I'm going to stand. That's okay. Go ahead. You look pretty stressed. When, when I saw you sit down and the judge first started speaking, what was going through your mind? What are you feeling after being in court today? Well, when it's your first time in, in experiencing something of this nature, I think everybody would show some kind of stress, right? Uh, I, I quite frankly don't believe I was stressed. I did the best I could to just keep my composure. I was, I, I was fine. Um, but again, this, is, this has been an experience, you know, for a book or something like that. Sir, anyway. It will be an experience for a book or something like that, he says. Already, already planning how he can uh, monetize the whole experience. By the way, if you're someone who would purchase with your hard-earned cash a book not just about George Santos, but written by George Santos, I don't want to meet you. <laughs> that's that's bonkers. Um, I will say this, going back to the uh, him running for re-election thing, imagine how much of a narcissist and just all-around garbage person you would have to be to get caught scamming your constituents in multiple ways, lying to them to get elected, spending their donations illegally, etc., etc., and then you turn around and say, I want to stay in this position of power. You get caught lying about your mom being in the Twin Towers on 9-11, being Jewish, where you went to school, where you worked, your friends dying at the Pulse nightclub shooting, having a charity, and on and on it goes. And now everyone knows you were lying and you don't have any shame. We learned that you reportedly lied to a disabled veteran and raised money for his dying dog, then kept the money and didn't give it to the dog, ran away with it, and then the dog died, and still you don't have any shame. Now you have, um, you've been charged with multiple crimes for your alleged criminal activity during your attempt to get into Congress, and you still don't have any shame. After all of that, you say, haven't I been such a great representative? You should reelect me. If you cared one bit about your constituents, George Santos, resign immediately. They deserve someone who has at least a little bit of integrity and honesty, and that person is definitely not you. Make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. We've talked plenty on this show about how Biden is not the best communicator in the world, especially in recent years, but I have a clip for you today. Probably one of the best back and forth with the press that we've seen from Biden in quite a while, both because of the style in which he engages with the reporter that he's talking with and also the point that he conveys with the back and forth. So let me set up this clip, a little bit of context, and then we'll watch it. As we've been covering, Republicans in the House of Representatives are holding the debt ceiling hostage in the hopes of leveraging um, leveraging that for spending cuts. They're saying they will only raise a debt ceiling, which is how the U.S. government is able to pay its bills if Biden and the Democrats sign on a massively destructive spending cuts. If Democrats don't agree to their terms, they're going to let us default on our debt. I've walked through multiple times now why a default would be disastrous. I won't do it all again now, but it would mean Social Security, Medicare benefits, military salaries, interest on the national debt, tax refunds, and other payments would not be able to be fulfilled. And we would be damning ourselves in the future in terms of investments because we wouldn't be paying off debt we currently have. It would be horrible. With that being said, I know what you're thinking. Okay, if default would be that bad, why not just sign on to their spending cuts? It can't be that horrible. And then the debt ceiling will be able to be raised. And that is the subject of this moment from Biden. By the way, this was shortly after Biden, Schumer, Jeffries, and Kevin McCarthy met. Take a look at this Biden clashing with a reporter over this topic. Let me go you and you and then... Um, the person with the camera. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, Speaker McCarthy said that he asked you numerous times if there was anywhere in the federal budget for cuts, but he did not get an answer. So is there I got a specific answer? I got a specific answer again today. Which is what? But first, 
I, you didn't listen either, so why should I even answer the question? I, we cut the deficit by $160 billion. Billion, B-I-L-L-I-O-N, dollars on the Medicare deal. We cut the deficit by raising the tax on people making uh, 55 corporations that made $40 billion to 15%, and the list goes on. So, but in terms of what he is proposing, is there any room for negotiation? What's he proposing? Did he tell you? Well, did he, you he talked about... No, 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 I'm not being facetious. Did he tell you what he's proposing? He, he was talking about the bill. Yeah, what, what does it propose? Do you know? I'm not being a wise guy. You all are very, very informed people. Do you know what that bill cuts? He, there is a long list of things that it, it cuts. That no, no, saying. it doesn't say. It says, does it say what it's going to cut? Or just say generically it's going to cut? You get the problem. So what's going on here? Well, what Biden's trying to emphasize is the fact that Republicans have named some of the spending cuts that they want, but they also just said all discretionary spending for 2024 has to go back to 2022 levels. They've made clear, though, all the cuts necessary to get us back to fiscal year 2022 levels can't come from defense. So it would have to all come from domestic programs. But then when the Biden administration points out, hey, that'll mean we would have to cut funding to a lot of programs, including for veterans, the Republicans go, no, Biden's lying. Look in the bill. We never said that. They won't admit what bringing us back to 2022 discretionary spending levels would do, what that would mean. And so Biden's saying, listen, I can't get Kevin McCarthy to specifically say which programs, if not the ones I'm calling him out for, will he be cutting uh, funding to, to get us down to 2022 discretionary spending levels? Because the White House says getting us down to the Republicans demanded spending levels would mean cuts, quote, from cancer research to education to veterans health care. But again, when that's said, Republicans freak out and pretend that Biden's lying about their plan. But if you demand massive cuts overall, but leave blank the part where you specify how that is going to be done, then obviously you're the one playing the games. The GOP's plan would cause hurtful cuts, even to veterans who they purport to care so much about. And the fact that they don't acknowledge that doesn't mean it's not the case. And so Biden, in the clip we just watched, brilliantly called out the fact that McCarthy and Republicans are being dishonestly vague by saying to the reporter, okay, you're saying that McCarthy thinks I'm not engaging with the spending cuts he's put forward, then what are they? Specifically, what are they? Do you know? Do you know what that bill cuts? He, there is a long list of things that it, it cuts. That no, no, it doesn't say. It says, does it say what it's going to cut? Or just say generically it's going to cut? You get the problem. Now, to be clear, it's not that Republicans haven't named any of what they would like to cut. They have. And even the things that they feel comfortable admitting they want to go after are disastrous. For example, their plan, if Biden and the Democrats went along with it and allowed it to become law, would raise the SNAP or food stamps work requirement age from 50 to 56, which would kick thousands of low-income people off of their SNAP benefits plan, preventing them from being able to afford enough food. It would also add work requirements to Medicare, kicking thousands of people off of their necessary health insurance plan. And by the way, when that's been studied, it's been shown to be the case that adding these work requirements isn't an effective way to get people who could be working back to work, but it is an effective way to kick a ton of people off of necessary government programs. We're talking about healthcare and food. And then so many other bad things. I've gone through all the specifics in past videos, but if the things they're willing to admit to are terrible, you can only imagine the things they're not willing to admit to. Biden called out one of those items during a speech today, uh, Take a look. Republican bill today, they would cut 30 million veterans' health care visits. The way they do that 
That's including nearly 2 million health care visits for veterans in New York State because there's not enough personnel. There's not enough personnel. The difference between the 2022 budget, which they want to get back to, and the 2023 budget is I increased the funding for the Veterans Administration by $22 billion. And the reason I did it... And the reason I did it, and probably some of you know of these folks, the number of, you know, more veterans are committing suicide than are being killed in battle. And so they pick up the phone and they call the VA in their area. I need help. We'll come in in six weeks. Come in and whatever. Well, we ended that. We ended that. Now they want to go back to the levels where we cut those folks that now provide that kind of help. This amounts to a $22 billion cut in veterans' health care. Now, they dispute this. They uh, Nowhere in their actual proposal are their exclusive protection for veterans. But they say I'm – it's unusual language we use with presidents these days – they say I'm lying when I say that. Well, the truth is, why do so many veterans groups – why have they spoken out in opposition to the Republican proposal? They're not all Democrats. They know what's going to happen. Folks, that's a game Republicans are playing. Anytime you single out the impact of their overall cuts, they tell you, no, 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 it's not true. But they're wrong. They want to protect something. They would have written it down and say we're protecting it. You can't cut this program. Really take a moment to think about this. Republicans in the House of Representatives have become so radical that they're willing to throw us into an economic catastrophe by not raising the debt ceiling for what? They're a bunch of babies and puppies that are about to die, and this is the only way to save them. No, they're threatening to do something this disastrous to get Democrats to go along with something really disastrous. So setting up a lose-lose situation for Democrats, obviously, that's likely the idea. Either they sign on to a plan that would be devastating, or they don't, and Republicans force a situation that would be devastating. I beg you, I beg anyone, everyone, people, please stop voting for the GOP. <laughs> that's my PSA for today, um, at least for now, until they find the slightest bit of reason. And by the way, it's not just Biden calling out the dangers of the Republicans' plan. This is from The Hill. Agencies across the government are sounding the alarm over the potential impact of steep spending cuts included in a Republican-backed proposal. Officials from nearly uh, 20 agencies, including from Departments of State, Treasury, Housing and Urban Development, Education and Veterans Affairs, as well as the Social Security Administration, wrote letters over the past several weeks warning of what a return to 2022 spending levels would mean for their offices next year. The article goes on to explain the specifics. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of it, but just to give you one example of the many about the damage this proposal will do if implemented again from the Hill, among some of the wide-ranging potential effects highlighted by Delario's office in a release on Monday are reduced access to rental assistance for more than 600,000 families, the shuttering of the 125 air traffic control towers and a drawdown that could impact one-third of all airports and a sharp reduction in rail safety jobs that could mean 30,000 fewer miles of track inspected annually. So whether House Republicans want to admit it or not, their plan, for lack of a more intellectual way to describe it, it stinks.
Well, it happened. Donald Trump's town hall on CNN took place and it was just about as disastrous as I think we all expected. There's so much from this that I want to take a look at. So I'll actually break this up into multiple segments. If you're a YouTube segment viewer, find those other clips on the channel for the complete review of the event. If the segment just came out, give it a second and then the other two will as well. Before we dive into what we'll look at in this segment, let me just say CNN should not have done this town hall. That I think is one of the biggest takeaways from the night, even though Caitlin Collins did try to fact check Trump a lot in real time. She's obviously super sharp and knew what she was talking about. Treating someone as dangerous as Trump as sort of a normal candidate with this type of event is such an irresponsible decision by a network like CNN. But with that being said, let's jump into some of what went on. You guys can let me know based on what uh, we review if you agree with my judgment on that. Starting with what happened at the very beginning on the subject, you'll never guess, of the 2020 election. Right out of the gate, Trump lied, shockingly, about the 2020 results with Caitlin Collins fact-checking him repeatedly. Here's the first moment uh, we'll look at. President Trump, thank you for your time thank here you. tonight. We got a, a great crowd here in New Hampshire, a lot of voters uh, with a lot of questions about what your 2024 term would look like, what another Trump term would look like. We'll get to the voters shortly, but your poll show that you are dominating the Republican race right now, but you are also under active federal investigation for trying to overturn the 2020 election results. Your first term ended with a deadly riot at the Capitol, and you still have not publicly acknowledged the 2020 election results. Why should Americans put you back in the White House? Because uh, we did fantastically. We got 12 million more votes than we had in, uh, as you know, in 2016. Uh, I actually say we did far better in that election. Got the most uh, that anybody's ever gotten as a sitting president of the United States. Uh, I think that uh, when you look at that result and when you look at what happened during that election, uh, unless you're a very stupid person, you see what happens. A lot of the people, a lot of the people in this audience and maybe a couple that don't, but most people uh, understand what happened. That was a rigged election and it's a shame that we had to go through it. It's very bad for our country all over the world. They looked at it and uh, they saw exactly what everyone else saw. You look, even if you just look recently, with the 51 intelligence agents, that made a 16-point difference. Uh, if you look at the but FBI, if you look at the FBI and uh, Twitter, uh, they call it Twitter files, made a big difference. If you look at Mr. President, the vote, back to what you just said there, though, it, it was not a rigged election. It was not a stolen election. You and your supporters lost more than 60 court cases on the election. It's been nearly two and a half years can you publicly acknowledge that you did lose the 2020 election? Let me, let me just go on. If you look at True the Vote, they found millions of votes on camera, on government cameras, where uh, they were stuffing ballot boxes. So with all of that, I think it's a shame that what happened, I think it's a very sad thing for our country. As we've gone through a gazillion times now on this show, everything Trump is saying there is nonsense. As Caitlin Collins noted, he lost more than 60 court cases on the matter. Every investigation that has been done confirmed the election was secure. Every recount, every audit. And as is so important to emphasize, Trump's team paid researchers to look into the states that Trump was making fraud claims about. The researchers came back and said they couldn't find proof. And yet still Trump insists the election was stolen. Here's more. A lot of questions about the economy and foreign Good. policy tonight, but, but what you just said there, Republican officials debunked those claims about fraudulent ballots. We want to give you a chance Who? tonight. Who? Republican officials Who? in Georgia and every single state. Uh, there is no, your own election officials, Mr. Look, President. Uh, so we wanted to give you a chance. People were afraid to take on the issue. But we have a big problem in this country. We have we wanted to elections, give you a to we have elections that were horrible. If you look at what happened in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, if you look at what happened in Detroit, Michigan, if you look at what happened in Atlanta, 
millions of votes, and all you have to do is take a look at government cameras, you'll see them, people going to 28 different voting booths to vote, to put in seven ballots apiece. But I mean, Mr. President, and they're all I have on to camera. stop you there because, because there is no evidence of that. Your own election officials testified to that and have said that Republicans in these states did this. In Georgia, there were multiple recounts, including a hand recount. If there is one positive thing that came out of the night, it's that Trump came off like a raving lunatic during these moments. They're just rambling about voter fraud claims that are completely made up. Just myths. I didn't completely understand, though, why Caitlin Collins kept asking Trump if he wanted to acknowledge the results of the election, I guess, to show the audience that he won it. But it's a strange question to ask when obviously he's not going to do it. His entire identity now has become denying the results of the 2020 election. As I've said before, a lot of his 2024 campaign is just, hey, I... I like really wish I didn't lose in 2020, but this is the type of situation you're going to get whenever you interact with someone as delusional as Trump. Then we get to the subject of January 6th and Trump gets asked about Mike Pence. Take a look. To brag about the fact that he killed her. That the officer was not bragging about the fact that he oh, killed he her, but bragging. one person who was at the he Capitol that day, as you know, was your vice president, Mike Pence, who says that you endangered his life on that day. I don't Do think he feel, was in any danger. Mr. President, do you feel that you owe him an apology? No, because he did something wrong. He should have put the votes back to the state legislatures, and I think we would have had a different outcome. I really do. But he doesn't have the authority to do that, as you know. What? The vice president does not have the authority to okay, reject those Okay, are you ready? Let's have this one results. out just now, because it's interesting. Let's keep it interesting, right? <laughs> I like Mike Pence very much. He's a very fine man. He's a very nice man. He made a mistake. His lawyer said, you cannot move. I called him the human conveyor belt. I said, even if the votes, you mean, I talked to his lawyer, even if the votes are absolutely fraudulent, he can't say, yes, sir, he can't say, but, and the Democrats played it and the rhinos played it. And then the election was over. They told him he couldn't do it. And Mike said to me, I can't do it. The lawyers told me he can't do it. They can't do it. But the lawyers were wrong because right after the election, they all met, the rhinos and the Democrats, and they worked out a plan to make sure that future vice presidents don't do what I said you could do. That's not what happened. You're referring to the Electoral Count Act. That's I've exactly read right. I've read that. There is there is no authority. No, legal experts, me. including Republican legal experts, say that he does not have that authority, Mr. Okay, President. One of the most disturbing aspects of this event was all the clapping from the crowd. Obviously, that's at the core of the problem, right? Trump would just be a ranting lunatic that didn't cause any damage if he didn't have the support of millions of people. And there, the crowd is clapping for Trump responding to a question about Mike Pence's life being threatened by essentially saying, yeah, he deserved it. He didn't do what I wanted him to. And of course, no, the vice president doesn't have the authority to single-handedly deny election results. What would be the purpose of elections if one person could decide whether or not they were valid? The people decide, not the vice president. And Trump, the people decided to kick you out of office no matter how many times you tell yourself otherwise. Then Trump said uh, this about the January 6th rioters. My, my question to you is, will you pardon the January 6th rioters who were convicted of federal offenses? I am inclined to pardon many of them. I can't say for every single one because a couple of them Probably they got out of control. But, you know, when you look at Antifa, what they've done to Portland, and if uh, you look at Antifa, look at what they've done to Minneapolis and uh, so many other, so many other places. Look at what they did to Seattle and BLM. BLM. Many people were killed. 
Trump says he's interested in pardoning many of the January 6th rioters, which is not a surprising answer, but it should still shock us. One of the things I want to make sure I do on this show constantly is remind you as well as myself that none of this is normal. The craziness, it's becoming common, but it shouldn't be normal to us. Trump recently did a song with the January 6th rioters, and now he's saying he'll probably pardon many of them. That is a former president celebrating the people who attempted to prevent the peaceful transition to power. But of course, that is what he would be doing because he was the one who told him to do it in the first place. And I want to once again remind you of something else as well, because I still get the question in my personal life of, hey, I get the January 6th was bad and all of that, but why is it something that's a big deal to you years later? And as I've said, the reason is because of what it was and what it represented. The damage on that day matters absolutely. The lives impacted, the pain caused, the threats, all of it. But often people will respond to that and say, yeah, but this riot over here was more deadly or this riot, riot over there did more property damage. And that's why the conversation about what it represented is so important. January 6th, as we've talked about, represented an assault on our democracy by a political movement that today holds the very same views that caused January 6th. That day and the actions of the rioters were motivated by the very same lies Trump was using to justify, attempting to install himself president despite the fact that he lost. Trump and his allies created uh, created a scheme to halt the democratic process, as we've gone over in more detail in the past, and keep Trump in the White House illegally. And just like how through that scheme, Trump was trying to overthrow our democracy, the January 6th rioters running parallel to that were trying to overthrow our democracy based on the lies that Trump was telling. And okay, that happens and then everyone disavows those claims. Maybe we can move on. But Trump is telling the very same lies to this day during this town hall. So the damage he would be willing to do to our democracy if he became president again with the support of his cult followers would be irreparable and disastrous. And that is why calling out Trump and his movement daily is crucial if we want to protect our democracy. We have much more to look at from this town hall. We will do that in the next segment. The next thing I want to look at from Trump's CNN town hall is truly wild and unhinged. By the way, if you're a YouTube segment viewer, this is the second out of three segments I'm going to be doing on the Trump town hall. So if you want to hear more of my commentary, including more general thoughts about CNN even holding this town hall in general, uh, you can take a look at the other segments on the YouTube channel. But what I have for you now is unbelievable. Trump once again doubles down and defends what he said in the Access Hollywood tapes. Let me give you the context, then we'll get to the moment I'm referencing. So the subject of the E. Jean Carroll trial verdict came up and the fact that a jury found Trump liable for sexually abusing and defaming E. Jean Carroll. Trump expectedly ranted about the whole process not being fair. Here's what that looked like. Even you're recounting I your version. I don't know who, and, and I tell you this. But Mr. President, are you ready? can I, can I, and I can swear I ask on you my because... children, which I never do, I have no idea who this one, this is a fake story made-up story. We had a horrible Clinton-appointed judge. He was horrible. He allowed her to put everything in. He allowed us to put nothing in. Mr. President, this is a you're recounting your version story. of events here right now. Well, then he gets asked about his statements in the Access Hollywood tapes that were brought up during his deposition during the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit process, and specifically the moment where he doubled down on what he said in the Access Hollywood tapes, saying, Something to the effect of, well, stars, they've just always been able to do that. Before we get to the town hall moment, though, here's a reminder of um, first a little bit from the Access Hollywood tapes that were played for or that was played for Trump during the deposition and then the moment of him doubling down during the deposition. I better use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. I just I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. Do anything. Say it again, this has become very famous. 
in this video. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. You can do anything. That's what you said, correct? Well, historically, that's true with stars. It's true with stars that, that they can grab women by the pussy? Well, that's what it's... If you look over the last million years, I guess that's been largely true. Not always, but largely true. Unfortunately or fortunately. And you consider yourself uh, to be a star? I think you can say that, yeah. Just as vile as it gets. Unfortunately or fortunately, he says, about stars sexually assaulting women. Well, Caitlin Collins asked Trump about that moment, and this is how that went. Deposition of you from October in it. You defended the comments that you made on that Excess Hollywood tape about being able to grab women how you want. Do you stand by those comments? I said, if you're famous and rich or whatever I said, but I said, if you're a star, uh, you are, and I said, women let you. I didn't say you grip. I said, women let. You know, you didn't use that word, but if you look, women let you. Now, they said, will you take that back? I said, look, for a million years, this is the way it's been. I want to be honest. This is the way it's been. I can take it back if you'd like to, but if you're a famous person, if you're a star, and I'm not referring to myself, I'm saying people that are famous, people that are you stars, were asked in the deposition, people that are rich, to be a star people that are powerful, yes. uh, they tend to do pretty well in a lot of different ways, okay? And you would like me to take that back? I can't take it back because it happens to be true. I said it's been true for one million years, approximately a million years, perhaps a little bit longer than that. So you stand by those comments? Well, I don't want to lie. Mr. Oh, President, here's we have what, a lot of questions. Here's what she wants. So, I mean, there it is. As we saw in the deposition tapes and then him doubling down there, he thinks if you are a star, women let you sexually assault them, which isn't how that works. So in reality, he just means stars sexually assault women. And then as Caitlin Collins pointed out, in the deposition, he gets asked if he's a star and he says... I think you can say that, yeah. So you're saying stars grab women by the genitals as they please. And you're saying you see yourself as a star. We can connect the dots. Um, the fact that he continues to spew this garbage, it's bad morally, obviously, but also just strategically horrible for his campaign to at all defend the idea that if you have a certain status, you can do whatever you want and grab women. It, awful in every way. And as I said during the coverage of the trial verdict, Really? Party of family values? You're likely going to go with a guy who has been found liable of sexually abusing a woman and has countless other sexual assault claims against him. A guy who talks about stars sexually assaulting women as being fortunate or unfortunate. One of the conversations uh, Josiah from Pondering Politics and I had on the Friday show was about this violation of the purported principles from the religious right. And one of the points I made was, it's not just that they support a guy who obviously goes against in the way he's lived his life, all the values they told us they have. That's bad enough. But, you know, you can imagine a justification being something like he's bad, but, you know, I can't vote for a Democrat or whatever. But that's not what we get, at least from his hardcore supporters. We don't receive from the religious right or family values right an admission that Trump is a deeply low character human being. You're not hearing constantly, yeah, he's obviously uh, not actually Christian like he pretends or not actually moral in the ways that we wish that he would be, but he's going to push for the policy that we want and that's good enough. No, no, no. Instead, it's, as I said in a past segment, a unified gaslighting operation by MAGA of the rest of the country. They respond to these types of moments and stick to the narrative that he's a high character person with incredible morality. And in the case of religion, I look Trump supporters in the eyes at Trump rallies and they insist Trump loves God and serves him on a daily basis. What? 
So it's either delusion or dishonesty. That's what we're dealing with here, because this would have to be the greatest conspiracy in the history of humanity to frame Trump for all these different things that in many cases he's said or done on video himself, as we just saw there. So many people, though, watch with their own eyes, listen with their own ears to Trump admit the person that he is. And they still go on believing or at least saying that they believe he's a good man who treats women correctly, is compassionate and lives a life of Jesus Christ. It's bonkers. Um, we have more to get into from this town hall in the next segment. Well, Donald Trump proudly admitted to his own hypocrisy and dishonesty on national television. Whoa. This was, of course, during the CNN town hall that we've been reviewing extensively on today's show. For our YouTube segment viewers, if you want to get my general thoughts on the event, you can find that in the first video I uploaded on the subject. But what we have to look at now is also incredibly wild. The topic of the debt ceiling battle came up. Of course, Republicans refusing to raise the debt ceiling unless the Democratic Party agrees to massive and damaging spending cuts. This is incredibly dangerous because if we don't raise the debt ceiling, will default on our debt and cause economic catastrophe. So Republicans are playing with fire. Well, Trump comes out in support of letting the country default on its debt during this town hall. Now we'll get to the moment when he admits to his own dishonesty, but first for some important context, uh, where he says Republicans, if Democrats don't go along with their wacky spending ideas, should throw us into an economic disaster. Take a look. What do you think about the United States current debt situation and how can we move forward? Uh, such an important question. So we're at $33 trillion, a number that nobody ever thought possible. When we had our economy rocking and rolling just prior to COVID coming in, like literally, we were making a fortune. And oil, we were going to make so much money from oil, we were going to start paying off debt. But then with COVID coming in, we had to do other things. We had to keep this country alive because it was so serious. But we have to get the country back. We have to lower energy prices. We have to lower interest rates. Interest rates are through the roof. Energy has to come down. It all has to come down. And we have to start paying off debt. But when we have a debt limit, and they use that very seriously. I mean, they came in, Schumer came in with Nancy Pelosi, and they were using, we'll violate it, we'll do whatever. They talked a whole lot different than they do right now. I say to the Republicans out there, congressmen, senators, if they don't give you massive cuts, you're going to have to do a default. And I don't believe they're going to do a default because I think the Democrats will absolutely cave because you don't want to have that happen. But it's better than what we're doing right now because we're spending money like drunken sailors. So you just to be clear, Mr. President, you think the U.S. should default if the White House does not agree to the spending cuts Republicans well, are you demanding? might as well do it now because you'll do it later because we have to save this country. Our country is dying. Our country is being destroyed by stupid people, by very stupid people. I'll explain in depth why what he said there is absolutely nuts and wrong in so many ways, but first here is him admitting he doesn't actually have any principles on this. Save this country. Our country is dying. Our country is being destroyed by stupid people, by very stupid people. You once said that using the that using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge uh, just could not happen. You you said that when sure. you were in the That's Oval Office. That's when I was president. To, so why is it different now that you're out of office? Because now I'm not president. <laughs> so the moment that Caitlin Collins was referring to there, where Trump, while he was president, was saying something 100% opposed to what he's saying now, was this. I can't imagine anybody ever even thinking of using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge. Uh, when I first came into office, I asked about the debt ceiling, and I understand debt ceilings, and I certainly understand a, uh, the, the highest rated credit ever in history and a debt ceiling. 
And I said, I remember to Senator Schumer and to Nancy Pelosi, would anybody ever use that to negotiate with? They said, absolutely not. That's a sacred element of our country. So then in the town hall clip, he's just proudly and confidently proclaiming that he is a hypocrite. When he's president, he said uh, he said that the debt ceiling should never be used as a negotiation wedge. Now he's encouraging Republicans to use it as a negotiation wedge. It's so important that we remember moments like that one when we're told by people like Trump that they believe something because so often they believe nothing other than what will help them most in any given moment. And even though in a sense it's so crazy that it's funny, it's also sickening because how do we engage with someone who that shamelessly has no principles, that shamelessly doesn't care about being logically inconsistent? Because if you at least try to make sure you're honest and logically consistent, then we can disagree, but try to come to some sort of understanding about one another. But if you change your purported principles every five seconds and can't stick to any sort of logic, then how do we engage or discuss compromise or, or anything? Now, of course, the reason it's wild outside of that, that Trump is calling on Republicans to use the raising of the debt ceiling to leverage spending cuts is because the debt ceiling is having to be raised right now because primarily of spending done under Donald Trump. It's paying off debt that was acquired in large part under the Trump administration. And Biden has actually overseen a cut in the deficit while he's been president, whereas Trump jacked up the deficit when he was president. Also, nearly a quarter of all the debt acquired in the history of the United States of America was accrued under Donald Trump, which a lot of that I don't even blame him for because it was spending we had to do during a pandemic. Of course, we were going to have to add a lot to the debt uh, during an economic crisis, but Trump also ballooned the deficit because of his tax cuts that benefited the wealthy disproportionately, and Republicans had no problems with that. But now that it's time to pay the bills, Republicans are standing in the way. And this is yet another reminder of what we talk about often. Republicans are good at one thing, branding. They've, they've convinced countless people that Democrats are the irresponsible spenders and are bad for the economy, while Republicans are the opposite, even though that's just not the case, both recently as I've mentioned, but also historically. I've gone through this before, but let me do it again, breaking down the economy and debt deficit record um, comparison. Economic performance of the United States under Democrats versus Republicans when looking at the primary variables that we use to judge economic performance since World War II, the economy has performed significantly better under Democratic presidents than Republican presidents, whether it be job growth, unemployment, GDP growth. So noticeable and significant that economists can't explain it all away by the reality that different economic times will be present, uh, present when a president comes into office. There's going to be a difference there, but it's so significant that that uh, is is not the complete answer. Even when you control for factors such as who had a majority in the House or Senate at this time during a presidency or that time during a presidency, better under Democrats. The economy is absolutely such a complicated beast. So it's not to say elected leaders can take full credit for these conditions. Um, but when you have decades of a pattern that can be observed, at least Republicans are definitely wrong that they manage the economy better. But then you might ask, or you might say, I should, I should say, that's because Democrats spend a bunch of money and the Republicans have to come in and reel things in. No, it is not true that Republicans are more fiscally responsible. Over the last four decades, Democrats have overseen smaller increases to the deficit, meaning increases in the year-over-year -year spending that goes beyond the revenue brought in, was less than Republicans. The one president that balanced the budget was a Democrat and 60% of the debt growth since World War II took place under Republican presidents. So they aren't better for the economy, they aren't more fiscally responsible. So not only is Trump bragging about his own hypocrisy in the clip that we watched um, previously and encouraging Republicans to throw us into an economic crisis, he's also just wrong about it being necessary to save the country from the horrible democratic governance. There's so much from this town hall that I'm just not going to have time to cover, but 
To be honest, it was just a bunch of Trump's normal lies, so you aren't missing much. Let me know what you think of all of this. Luke P. Beasley on Twitter. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I will see you tomorrow.